This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we bring in a real live doctor to tell us all about AI and data science and healthcare. Oh, and we brought a sales guy too. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in my basement of my house because we are on lockdown. Uh, We are not allowed to go outside for a little while. Well, actually, we can go outside. We just can't go into the office. So I am doing the podcast from the basement of my house. And today I decided I was going to bring along some expertise. So I invited a doctor to the podcast. So Dr. Mona Flores is here today from NVIDIA. Uh, Dr. Mona Flores, can you tell us a little more about what you do and how to reach you? Sure. At NVIDIA, I am the global lead for hospitals and clinical partnerships, and I can be reached through LinkedIn. So I'm curious, uh, how does a doctor end up at NVIDIA? Like, what is the tie-in there, and why would NVIDIA hire someone that has a medical background? Well, I I think you can imagine NVIDIA would want to hire a doctor since we are really involved in healthcare uh, today, and and you you want that domain expertise to be to be a voice as you develop products in healthcare uh, and, and for developers in healthcare. I think maybe maybe the better question is like, why does a doctor want to work at NVIDIA? <laughs> and, and, you know, if, if you think about it, uh, as a doctor, I was able to help patients and I loved it. And I was able to help patients one patient at a time. With AI and specifically AI in healthcare, we can help patients at scale. And this is where healthcare is going. This is this is what's going to change our healthcare and make it more efficient and make it more democratic and, and more scalable. And I wanted to be part of that way. Excellent. So uh, Esteban, uh, you're not a doctor, but that's okay. Um, what do you, <laughs> who are you? What do you do at NetApp? And how do we reach you? Yeah, so I don't even play one on TV. Uh, at NetApp, I actually run our healthcare AI practice. I came into that through healthcare IT. I started out uh, a while back working for a bunch of uh, storage startups, and then I got into medical imaging. I worked for a company called Fujifilm Medical Systems that makes medical imaging software that radiologists use, something called PAX or DNA, it's vendor neutral archive. So I went from being a storage geek to a healthcare IT storage geek. And then I've uh, come back home, if you will, to storage. So it's really taking, as Mona was saying, that domain expertise. In my case, it was really not so much on the clinical side, of course, but on the technology side and trying to, to help steer what we do, again, to help patients, you know, improve patient care and also help clinicians. You know, there are really a lot of wonderful things happening with AI and healthcare that can help everyone involved. And that's very exciting. And uh, you can reach me at Esteban R, that's E-S-T-E-B-A-N-R at netapp.com or uh, on LinkedIn. I do a lot there as well. So as far as the healthcare industry goes, what's the number one challenge that you've seen in your experience with the medical imaging? And then what brought you to NetApp and, you know, what was the thing that NetApp did that helped solve that challenge? Well, in medical imaging, there's a data problem. 
right? You know, the, the images keep getting better. We use more imaging, uh, we acquire more images. So there's more and more use cases and it's really outside of what people traditionally used to know as imaging specialties like cardiology or radiology. Uh, everything uses imaging now. If you think about dermatology, ophthalmology, uh, GI, you know, endoscopy produces images and, and even video. Like really, anything in healthcare can be tied in, in some way, pretty much, to imaging. So, how do you how do you use that effectively? You know, one thing is acquiring it, another thing is organizing it and making it, and securing it, and making it useful for a variety of, of different things. And so that brings me to why I came to NetApp. Because NetApp has, again, it's not about kind of putting a sales hat on. It's NetApp does have a really complete portfolio. And that's very interesting because we can actually help a lot of different organizations from small community hospitals to large academic medical centers to research institutions uh, without, you know, having a, a solution in search of a problem. Like right? we actually have enough solutions that we can, we, we can relax and just focus on helping our customers. So I know that we're all kind of locked down now with uh, with this pandemic, and you know that's one of the impetuses of having you guys here today is to kind of talk a little bit about that. But what are you doing, Mona, to keep yourself occupied <laughs> while hold up in your house? Oh gosh! Um, so for one, actually, you know, we are holed up in the house, but we are all working from home. So and and we've been really busy. Uh, specifically with, with what's going on now with COVID-19 and, and trying to help in those efforts. So we, we, we have been, um, everyone at NZB has been really uh, working um, a lot of hours to, to make things happen. Having said that, you know, I, I have to tell you, I am, I am enjoying tremendously the amount of music that's coming to me uh making making light of our situation so that people you know can just get some stress out and i am by no no such of the word a musician or or a singer but yesterday i got this one song that was um <laughs> that was so catchy and i had my headset on so i didn't even realize uh what i was doing and i was i was starting to sing at like at the top of my lungs and all of a sudden, my husband just like rushes in and he's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, is everything OK? What's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, oops, I was just thinking. Sorry. So really, that's that's what we're doing. You know, just try, trying to stay afloat. Excuse me, afloat. So as far as kids go, I mean, do you have any school age children in the house or are they all out of the house? Oh, I do. I do. And there's all this distance learning going on. And you can imagine how much fun <laughs> when mommy and daddy are both working and on meetings all day and, and your kid is, is having to do their own online. And of course, as soon as you join a meeting, they're running in and they're like, my WebEx stopped. And, and of course, no one can, can use the same the same platform, right? So he's having to do Zoom and WebEx and Hangouts and so it's, it's a different experience, I must say. Yeah, we've got a six-year-old, and that's that's an entirely different ball game there because they're not really doing the distance learning because they don't really have that curriculum in their grade. But it's like keeping him educated and interested because he's at home and all he wants to do is play Nintendo Switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, course. yeah, I can see that. I can't blame him, honestly, but... Yeah. So Esteban, um, what about you? What are you, how are you hanging in there? Yeah, the same, you know, I've, I've pretty much always worked from home so that this is not that strange, which 
very strange for me. It's not traveling. I, I usually I'm on the road a lot, and so I think this is the longest I've ever gone without leaving the borders of the state of New Hampshire. And I've been here for 20 years, so this is very very noteworthy for me. Uh, other than that, I you know, my my sport is powerlifting, so I'm putting together a little uh, basement gym so I can keep up with my training. And uh, yeah, I have a 15 and a 17 year old. Uh, my 17 year old daughter is a senior and getting her. Actually, she just got all her college decisions, so now it's kind of the the time for her to figure out where she's actually going to end up going, and uh, you know what's going to happen with things like graduation, prom, you know, everything is, is different. So navigating that is interesting. And then, yeah, you know, my wife is a freelance writer. So we're all on Zooms or equivalent uh, platforms at the same time. It's, you know, I'm in my office in the basement and somebody's in the sunroom. <laughs> you know, we, we need distance to so hear each other. It's different. You know, as long as we don't break the internet, right? I mean, that's possible. Uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned with Esteban's hobby because he's going to come out of this like the Incredible Hulk. That's the goal, 100%. <laughs> he's, you're going to have to buy yes. a new wardrobe. You're going to be massive. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind. All right. So well, uh, I, 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 I love that. My own exercise is opening the fridge, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's one kind of body weight exercise. I guess exactly. We're both gonna gain something. I, I bought an economy bag of jelly beans a few weeks ago, and I'm already through them, so I'm a little worried about where this is gonna go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trial and error. Yes. All right. So, um, let's talk a little bit more about the AI aspect of healthcare. So, uh, Mona, you mentioned that you know you've, you're learning a little bit more about AI. So, how what is AI and machine learning, and how does it interact with healthcare? Like what, is, what can it do for healthcare? Well, I can do a lot for healthcare. I, I want to say that, you know, AI really has been a, it's a buzzword today, but despite all the hype, you'd think AI was just created yesterday. And of course, AI is not new. It actually has been around since the 1950s. AI is a discipline that attempts to bridge the gap between machine and human so that the machines can perform functions that historically could only be done by humans. So there's, there's two kinds of AI. There's, you know, the general AI and narrow AI. General artificial intelligence is what you might think of if you think of a robot. It is very human-like. It is able to do unbelievable things. And then there's the narrow AI, which is good at specific tasks like making a movie recommendation or finding a tumor in a long x-ray. That's really basically the AI that we're talking about today, specifically for healthcare. It's narrow AI, not a generalized AI. So AI is changing the very fabric of healthcare. You know, from real-time patient monitoring to virtual therapists to chatbots to faster, more comfortable lab and imaging tests to quicker diagnoses, better treatments and less medical errors. It is improving our predictive analytics abilities. Imagine, you know, predicting surgeons in the emergency department admissions to length of hospital stays to hospital readmissions and even the viral spread of disease like we are seeing today. It is enabling us to detect and act faster in situations where minutes count, such as sepsis, strokes, and acute emergencies. And then you have AI for dealing with cancer, of course, from better diagnostics and prognostics to better treatment and follow-up. 
It's enabling personalized dosing and more precise mapping in radiation therapy. And it does not stop with cancer, of course, but you can imagine how it will affect every, really every disorder out there, whether it's cardiovascular, neurological, endocrine, or other disorders. So it really is changing healthcare at scale everywhere. Yeah, I would imagine that, you know, the end game could be, you know, because everybody's health is dependent on their genetics, having your genetic profile uploaded with your symptoms and with medical imaging, and then it kind of does some analysis of all these things put together and maybe gives you a list of four or five things that could be potential diagnoses, and then the doctor can act on those things. Certainly, you know, in, in a cl- clinical decision support system, or a system that can, you know, prioritize the different diagnoses, I could see that. But but also, I think you touched on something very important here, uh, Justin, and it is the multimodality approach to creating AI models and being able to take data from all walks of life and science, and you know, from from genomics, from medical imaging, uh, and this is whether it's medical imaging in radiology or pathology or ophthalmology, as Esteban was saying before to EHR structured data, to unstructured data, to, you know, sensors out there that are collecting uh, information. Putting all of that together can give us a much more comprehensive picture of what's going on. And we can, it enables us to produce much more robust and meaningful models of disease and treatment. So you mentioned the sensors and, you know, the data collection. And then we also have this concept of core, which is the data center itself. And then in, in some cases, we're dealing with cloud. Like, so in, for instance, when you talked about chatbots, maybe you log into your doctor or your service provider and you answer some questions with a chatbot and that gets fed into a cloud uh, analysis piece of the data structure. And then it gets downloaded to maybe the data center, you know, and then maybe more things happen there. So, so Esteban, what does NetApp do that kind of ties into all these things? When you think about data science, what we do is essentially freeing the data, just to, to keep it very simple. There's so many sources of data, as Mona was saying. There's all sorts of clinical systems and sensors, devices, uh, modalities. There are a lot of silos, and it's very complicated to put all this data together when you want to do machine learning, you need a lot of data and you need access to that data. So what we do best is help people manage the data, you know, make it accessible, uh, kind of break down the barriers between silos, uh, let people move data around without huge penalties. So the, the concept that we like to talk about is that we help people have the right data available at the right time in the right place at the right price, which is really not a trivial thing either because you know everything does have a price. So if you have many, many petabytes of uh, imaging data and genomic data, but you only need a subset of that to do your research, it's really important to be able to move stuff around. And then in addition to that, of course, in healthcare, when you're doing any kind of uh, you know, machine learning project, physicians are at the heart of it but also data scientists. So when you think about data scientists, one of the things that I think really uh, bug data scientists is how much time they have to spend in the preparation phases of what they call the data pipeline. So when when they talk about data prep, normalization, uh, uh, 
you know, integration of data. There's a bunch of different things that can be anywhere from 75 to 90 percent of the time. So when you think about it, you're doing a project and maybe only 10 to 25 percent of the time is actually spent doing data science. So we help reduce that. We help uh, the whole thing be a little more efficient so that the people can do the job that they were hired to do. And I think that one of the terms we use here for that particular concept is the edge to core to cloud, right? So having an on-top solution that's able to attach to any piece of that endpoint. Uh, and, you know, an, an overarching general theme is the data fabric. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly that. The, the, that's the, the short way of describing, you know, it's <laughs> made a little wordy, but yes, that the data fabric is this, this ability to, to free the data and, and move stuff around very efficiently. I just, I get paid by the marketing term, Esteban. So <laughs> <sighs> I digress. Um, so, so Mona, uh, especially as far as NVIDIA goes, how do they get into AI and especially healthcare? So can you talk a little bit more, a, a little bit about that? Every time I met someone in the elevator today and they saw my badge and they're like, oh, you work for NVIDIA, cool. You, do, you make graphic cards, right? And you see that a lot. And that's because, indeed, we did start in graphics cards in 1993. NVIDIA was one of, I think, 12 companies that had made the graphic chips. And going on from, from there, it, things continue to evolve. In 1999, uh, we invented the graphics processing unit that launched GeForce, the world's first GPU. Then in 2006, NVIDIA introduced CUDA, and that really was a game changer. It was a revolutionary architecture for general purpose GPU computing that enabled scientists and researchers to uh, really use parallel processing capabilities abilities of the GPUs to tackle the most complex computing challenges. And, you know, following that came the DGX2, which was capable of delivering two petaflops of computational power powered by NVIDIA's B100 GPUs again, and a revolutionary GPU interconnect fabric, you know, coming to the word fabric, again, uh, which was the NV switch. And then Clara came in, and Clara is really our platform for healthcare came into the picture setting the future for AI-powered medical devices and medical applications. The beauty of Clara is that it is an SDK that helps develop and deploy AI healthcare applications. It's completely modular, it's customizable, and the SDK can be used in part and full. You don't have to use the whole thing. You basically pick and choose which parts fit your development process. And this way, you only develop one time. You develop once, and then you can run the applications uh, in any environment, on laptops, desktops, data centers, and in the cloud. So it really gives you the flexibility of, of doing the compute anywhere you want. So, so as you see, really, our foray into deep learning has really been almost serendipitous. First, we introduced the GPU. GPU is great at parallel processing and is very well suited for deep learning applications. So we took this opportunity to take several of our best performing GPUs and architected the DGX system with optimized stacks and, and, and made a system that is specifically optimized for AI. So now NVIDIA has all of the optimized tools to develop the L models and applications for healthcare, and all you need is the data. As Simon said, data really is, is, is the fabric uh, for a lot of this. Because, of course, for deep learning, you need a lot of data. and you know, unlike in the past where you had to hand engineer uh, features and traditional ML models, 
deep learning can teach itself what features are important. It's, it's basically software writing software. The software that uses the data to learn the, the features from the data and to learn the patterns. And then the more data it has, the better it performs. Obviously, that that is really incredible. And if you think about it, you know, two petaflops. I mean, it, maybe not the scope of this podcast to, to get into that, but that's a lot. <laughs> that's, that's stuff that just, uh, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, only a few people in the world were able to, to put together in a supercomputer that had government support. And now you can just buy a rack-mounted device, you know, the DGX2 that can, you know, unleash that kind of power. So I, I really like this concept of the, the, the democratization of AI. And, and that brings a lot of other benefits because this is, as Mona was saying, it this can be expanded to a planetary scale. Like you, you produce some algorithm that can help patients in a narrow way, and then this can be used anywhere. And the interesting thing is that you need this huge amount of uh, compute power to train the models. But once the models are trained, and of course, you, you need to keep training them. And that's, that's a you know, different story. But for the what they call the inference stage, where you have a trained model and you're exposing that model to new data, like from, from new patients, you need far less. So this is really quite incredible. If you think about uh, just a quick example, there's something called point-of-care ultrasound. What you, you think about the ultrasound machines that you may have seen if you ever went to, I don't know, sports medicine or, or you know, you, you uh, saw somebody getting an ultrasound uh, for, for uh, you know, with a baby or something like that. Their the technology has allowed that modality, that device to shrink down a lot. The transducers that uh, are what is used to, to obtain the images, they have some crystals that generate the, the ultrasound and then, you know, something that reads the ultrasound back and transforms that into images. That is now something that is very compact, very cheap, and can be connected to a smartphone, which was kind of unheard of just maybe five, 10 years ago. Well, you can embed trained AI models into that so that, for instance, you can have an untrained person in the field, in a rural part of the world where there are not enough doctors, able to acquire really good images because the model helps them position that probe so that the images are good. And then furthermore, another model can be used to see if there are certain pathologies. So it's not just for, let's say, the rich world, right? For, for maybe the North America and Western Europe. This is something that can help everybody around the world in many, many different ways uh, and, and bring healthcare to people who almost haven't really had access to it. And certainly when you think about medical imaging, uh, there are billions of people who don't really have access to that. And now through this combination of uh, AI, compute, uh, and other technologies to, to make things smaller and more portable and smartphones and so on, this is a, a true revolution. But of course, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that uh, compute is one of the legs of the stool. You also need very fast and efficient storage, which is, of course, where we come in. And uh, you need very fast networks when you're doing the training. And that's another interesting thing that NVIDIA did. They acquired a company called Mellanox that 
is in that space, you know, Ethernet networking and other things. And uh, to me, it's kind of amazing that these days you can get a couple of hundred gigabit per second switches for the top of a, a, a deep learning training rack, and it's no big deal. Whereas just a few years ago, it would have raised a lot of eyebrows to say, yeah, I'm just going to get a couple hundred gig switches. So it's uh, a whole ecosystem really that enables this. And I, I do, as Mona pointed out before, find it fascinating that AI, narrow AI, neural networks have been around for 60 years, but it's only now that their potential is being realized because we finally have enough compute, storage, and networking power to make all of that useful. So Esteban, you talked a lot about data and the fact that there's a lot of it out there. Um, and if you're a physician, you have to look at a lot of data. And eventually what happens is you get kind of sick of looking at it. So Mona, from a doctor's perspective, how do you handle that burnout? And what sort of things are you looking forward to in the future of medical imaging and AI and in, in, in healthcare? I think there's a couple of aspects to this. And, and depending what kind of position you are, the burnout can present itself in different ways. Uh, if, if you are a radiologist and you are sitting in a dark room reading, you know, one CT scan after another, you can, and you can be the greatest radiologist in the world. After a certain time, you're going to get tired and, you know, your eyes are going to get cross-eyed. Uh, so anything that helps make that process easier, you know, instead of struggling with an old-fashioned annotation tool, you know, where you have to go and handle a line around a, a tumor, you know, if there's a smart AI-enabled annotation tool that you can just click one place or, you know, a couple of couple of dots around the tumor and it, it automatically segments it and know exactly where the borders are and you just have to fine-tune it, that is much easier than starting from scratch. So I, I, I envision... AI really helping creating these tools that just make the life, make the workflow easier so that people are having to do things smarter. Like just imagine if today we still have to use calculators instead of spreadsheets. And it's kind of like that. It, it is automating things that can be automated. It's infusing intelligence into those tools. Uh, and, and then the other thing, you know, this is medical imaging and we keep talking about radiologists. And one thing is when you have radiologists make their life easier so that they can concentrate on things that perhaps AI cannot deal with. But also in, in other countries, and Esteban, you alluded to this before, you know, we are lucky that we, and especially in, in cities, we have a lot of radiologists in the U.S., we talk about shortages, but that is not even doesn't come close to shortages in the third world. And you know there are whole countries with just a handful of radiologists who take care of reading all of these studies. You can imagine that an AI model that perhaps is you know maybe yes it's not it's not a physician it's it's not a model that's gonna maybe give you a, a yes or a no answer is, is this a tumor or not but a model that can actually make that information presented much faster to to someone so that they can review it and say, yeah, this is what it is. You can leverage if you're a radiologist to do much more. You can even go to clinics, you know, where there isn't a radiologist and we don't have that luxury. And, you know, if a kid is presenting with a fracture, you know, you could see it right there and the AI can say, yeah, we think there's a fracture over there. There's actually an FDA cleared algorithm for wrist fractures. 
Um, so, so you can see it helping that way for radiology. But but even a you know primary care physician or any physician in the clinic, you know w- one of the the things that that physicians keep complaining about and 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 it's really a big burden is documentation. It's like you're sitting there talking to the patient and instead of you know listening, which is what a physician needs to do when there's you know trying to elicit your symptoms and your history and, and, and knowing what's going on, you're having to worry about opening the computer and taking notes and and, and documenting everything because really that that is that is charting and documentation is is in the end what's gonna keeps a lifetime in the hospital. It's awesome. And, you know, many, many companies are working on this is to have ambient AI in the clinics where you go in and, and you know, there's an AI that's listening in the background and it's able to to tell you this is a physician talking, this is a patient talking. It, you know, there's some trigger words that knows it's like, oh, okay, they're talking now about the prescription. Then this is, you know, what it needs to be ordered. And, and, and just do- documentation, really having an AI scribe in there if nothing else, that would completely cut down on, on the burnout rate. So now physicians can actually, you know, spend the time interacting really with, with the patient as opposed to just sitting there at the computer typing notes or having to go, you know, hours later at night and, and try to recreate, and you know, or re- remember what, what they talked about and, and put it down in the chart. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I've heard, and you know, you being a doctor, it'd be great if you could validate this or maybe not. Something called pajama time, where where doctors have to go home and then to do remote work with with charting in the EHR, essentially when they're in their pajamas, and and that takes time away from their families and so on. I don't know about the pajama part, but yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, of course. You take your work home with you, and a lot of us do it. You know, it's, it's not just doctors, but but when when you have when you're seeing a patient, and I, again, I'm talking about like situations where you have a clinic and you're seeing patients every ten minutes or so. It's like that's a lot of patients. That's a lot of charts. That's a lot of wasted effort. It's like if someone can actually like, why would you have a very highly trained, expensive doctor spend their time and energy doing that if you can have an AI do it? You know, it's a no-brainer to me. Yeah, and the technology is there, right? You know, the natural language processing is not something that is out there, right? We've been doing it. No. And of course, people have these speakers at home, and, you know, it's, it's happening already. Correct, correct. You know, they have Siri, and you have Alexa, and, you're like, you know, this should be, we should be able to do this in healthcare. And people are working on it. This is this is not far-fetched. You know, you have conversational AI for healthcare and we're getting there very fast. So as far as AI and ML goes for, for healthcare uh, use cases, why is it important to deploy the correct infrastructure in the first place? Like, you know, what happens if you put the wrong one in and, you know, you have to go back and, you know, how does NVIDIA and NetApp have the tools to make that happen? Yeah, I'll take a stab at that. I, I, as I was saying before, you need all the right pieces uh, and interestingly, if you don't have the right pieces, you may have uh, bottlenecks, right? You may have things not working optimally. So if you have the right GPU compute, but not the right storage or the right storage, but not the right GPU compute, things are just not going to work out. And so any inefficiency in such a sophisticated environment is not good because it makes things slower. It's essentially a waste of time and money. 
And when you have, again, back to the data scientists and the physicians who are involved in these projects, we don't want to keep them waiting. You know, they don't have any time to, to waste. So it's very important to make this invisible so that, especially when you're talking about researchers, they don't have to reinvent the wheel, that they can sort of decide what problem they want to solve. They can formulate their hypotheses and decide how they're going to go about testing or solving a problem. And then they can get to work. So not thinking that they're going to have to figure out what kind of GPU compute and what kind of storage. So having something that's all in one becomes important. And that's what we do together, right? NetApp with NVIDIA, we have something called ONTAP AI that is everything that you need. It's from the GPU compute to the right storage to the right networking to the right software environments you know there are a lot of different kinds of environments that data scientists need to do their job so it's about efficiency speed of deployment and again being more in the background and letting people get to the things that they want to do and and you know Esteban, if, if I may add to that it's really it's, it's going back to like the three pillars really of AI right? You know, there's a saying, a man is as good as, as his tools. I have no idea who said that. But, but you know, it's <laughs> true. Uh, the same applies for building the L models. You know, you have the three uh, pillars of what you said before, the three legs of his tool. You have the expertise, you have the data, and you have the compute. So expertise, of course, you need, you know, data scientists and domain experts to work together and, and, and be able to develop something of meaning that's meaningful. You have the data. There's the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, still applies, right? So right. You, you have to make sure that this data is curated, cleaned. If you're doing supervised learning, you have to make sure that the data is annotated, labeled correctly. Uh, you also have to find a place to store this massive amount of data, right? And then uh, you, need, you need the compute. And you would like, ideally, this data and compute to be, to be close to each other or at, when you need it to be close to each other. And this is exactly, you know, as you said, Esteban, when, when NetApp and NVIDIA came up with, a, with a AI on tap, which is a system built that combines NVIDIA DGX servers, fabric-attached storage, and the Mellanox networking or networking uh, superchargers in some instances, you know, you have now a whole system that, that can really bring those three legs of a stool together. So Mona, as far as NVIDIA goes, and, and I, I say this because I see a lot of corporations out there with this COVID-19 epidemic stepping up and, and doing things. So as far as NVIDIA goes, what is NVIDIA doing in, in response to the COVID-19 epidemic to help? And how is AI helping to fight this epidemic? So at NVIDIA, we are committed to helping whatever we can. And, you know, we, we take we take what we're good at and try, try to use that in, in order to help others in this epidemic. We are offering our expertise and our technology to many initiatives fighting this disease. Uh, we do this by contributing to several consortiums in different ways. These are consortiums that are tackling the COVID-19 pandemic and in and, and several other ways. You know, for instance, we have our data scientists are working hard at the Kaggle Challenge you know, for the past few weeks specific to COVID-19 solutions. And then we, we are offering our solution architects, our engineers, to help others solving such problems, you know, as they are developing models. We are also providing compute capabilities through different programs to help developers around the world working on solutions. And we're also providing software tools that help in such development efforts. 
two specific initiatives uh, I want to call out here. One is in genomics. And, you know, you, you probably have heard that NVIDIA had acquired a company called Parabrix. Today, we are giving away free licenses to, to the Parabrix solution. This is a GPU-accelerated genomic analysis application, and we're giving free licenses to scientists involved in genomics that can utilize it, you know, as they sequence the, the virus, as they sequence patients, as Esteban earlier said, you know, that, that might be infected and, and that insight into the genome might, might help and who's getting infected, what, you know, what's the sequela of this specific infection as it relates to this specific genome. The other initiative I want to talk about is, is, is again, that relates to our Clara platform, which is enabling developers today to easily develop and deploy the models specific to COVID-19 on any platform. As we come out with models that can actually specific to COVID-19 and that can help, we will be putting those as part of our SDKs for people to take them, train the models on their own data so that they can have the best inference results. Now, th this can be done on premises or, you know, on different AI marketplaces, such as the arteries, the market startup that has started the marketplace, and they have a web-based web platform uh, for deployment. So we, we are providing the opportunity for people to be able to deploy these models that they are developing. I want to end, though, by saying that technology and AI can be very helpful in fighting this epidemic. Some drones that can be used to disinfect cities or deliver food uh, to patient monitoring services that are being repurposed to measure, uh, for instance, people's temperature from a distance, like Care AI, uh, a startup company that does this, to symptom checkers and triage tools, like Ask Sophie from Cloud Medics, uh, another startup, and, and other companies out there. But really, what's more important is I want to remind us that today, while technology and AI can help and is helping in combating this epidemic, it really falls short of the efforts and the sacrifices of our medical providers. I want to say thank you to every caregiver out there, to every respiratory therapist, to every EMT, to every nurse, to every doctor, to the cleaning staff, really everyone who is out there putting their lives on the line to take care of patients and pull them through their illness. Thank you all. We could not do this without you. So Esteban, did you have anything to add for us? Yeah, so thank you, Mona, for, for your time, for sure. And uh, I agree. First of all, we are all incredibly grateful to the healthcare workers all over the world who are putting their lives in line. There's just no way to describe the gratitude and kind of the, the, what they're doing under these extremely trying circumstances and uh, not seeing their families. It really gives me goosebumps to think about it. So certainly an amazing thing to, to behold and, and, you know, words are not enough, but thank you to, to everyone there. Uh, one thing that I wanted to add as well, what Mona was saying in terms of uh, making Parabricks licenses available to researchers that is something that, yes, uh, NVIDIA is doing with NetApp and a company called Core Scientific. Uh, there's basically availability of these environments for free to researchers who are involved in, in the COVID effort. And that is really important because basically it's about finding both uh, different tests and different treatments for, uh, for the disease. So you, you look at the virus, you look at the um, the makeup of the virus. You look at the uh, spikes in the protein spikes, and 
as you characterize that, you can not only uh, do things like find uh, tests that work, but also through massive amounts of computation and uh, essentially AI, let's say, in general, find uh, drugs that are good candidates for, for different kinds of treatments. You know, we have libraries with millions of molecules that would take people, or really, if you think about it, normal computers with CPUs, hundreds and hundreds of days, years, whatever the, the metric is. But once you put this, again, going back to the, the right infrastructure with GPU compute and, and what comes with it, this gets done in minutes. So it is a huge accelerator to these worldwide efforts that uh, are, of course, very encouraging. And uh, it's it shows that the collaboration of scientists around the world is an incredible thing when data can be free and shared. And when you have the right infrastructure to do something with that data, it's a very virtuous cir circle. All right, Esteban, Mona, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us all about NVIDIA. AI and healthcare, as well as giving us some insight in how this is uh, impacting the COVID-19 epidemic. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Mona Flores and Esteban Rubens for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. The entire podcast, can I just say, doctor, do you concur? <laughs> you, you can, or you can call me by my first name, whatever. <laughs>